The following audio is from Gold Country Baptist Church in Shingle Springs, California. Visit gcb.church to find more resources and to learn about our church. So glad I didn't call this shortcuts to spiritual growth. There are no shortcuts. I agree with Sinclair Ferguson. So that, that title wasn't actually on the table for me, so just so you know. Um, okay, let's, let's dive into this topic of, of how change happens. Um, and it's kind of going to be a, a little bit of an extension of what we talked about last night about training in righteousness. So I'll, I'll revisit that uh, just a little bit. But as you, you're thinking about cultivating a culture of care... I think there are a number of, of basic ideas that you really need to embrace and then figure out, well, how does that apply? How can I talk through this basic approach to understanding life and understanding spiritual change with someone who's anxious or someone who's depressed or someone who's maybe chronically ill or whatever kind of suffering or affliction they may be dealing with? And it starts with uh, stepping back and making sure that you understand what are we aiming at so I think for some of us, when we think about, I want to experience change, uh, it, it might relate to whether or not I feel better. That might be the, the change that you, you really want. Um, it might relate to, I want my life to be less chaotic. Um, and so wh- what are we aiming at, I think, is probably the first question that we need to, to answer. Because, of course, if you've got the wrong goal, you're definitely not going to have the right approach to getting there. Right, you're going to take. If, if you got the destination wrong, you're definitely going to take the wrong street, right? So let's make sure that we get that. When we open up the scriptures and uh, we start looking at what it says about what our primary aim in life should be, uh, it should come to your your mind uh, what Jesus said when he was asked, "What is the greatest commandment?" Right, and Jesus said, "You uh, or the." Uh, he said, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and foremost commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend the whole law and the prophets. And so the sum of our life with God on earth can be stated in, in those terms. Who you love. Love is, is the ultimate goal. But Jesus also said uh, that this is eternal life that they may know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ, whom, whom you have, have sent, John 17, 3. It's, it's as though he's talking there about the entire Christian life in terms of who you know. If you want to have life, eternal life, that abundant life that God has designed for you to enjoy, it's summed up in who you know, knowing uh, the only true God and Jesus Christ. I think you can... Think of the, the sum of the Christian life in terms of who you worship, certainly, right? That's what the Lord is doing, is He's calling people to Himself. Uh, the hour is coming, Jesus said in John 4.23. The hour is coming and now is when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For such people the Father seeks to be His worshipers. God is spirit, and those who worship Him must worship in spirit and truth. This is could be thought of as the sum of our lives, putting the glorious worth of God on display in every way, 
in our lives. And we could, we could keep going, right? We could talk about who you obey, who you follow, who you live for, who you serve as the sum of our life in a sense, right? But the common denominator in all of those statements uh, isn't the, the action or the attitude as much as it's the, the who, right? The sum of our life is wrapped up in the who, for from him and through him and to him are all things, Romans 11.36, to him be glory forever. And that's why the catechism, right? What's the chief end of man? To glorify God and enjoy him forever. Because from him and through him and to him are all things, amen, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercy of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship, Romans 12.1. That, that's uh, maybe one of, one of the most inconvenient chapter breaks in all of Scripture, I think. Don't be conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern God's will, what is good, acceptable, and perfect. And as we're thinking about ministering to one another, caring for one another, spurring one another on to love and good works, uh, recognizing that God is the goal, our relationship with God is the goal, I think is key. All of our lives, everything in this world, are designed to bring praise and honor and glory and worship to the Lord. And that really needs to be the goal of our lives, the, the ground and the motivation for pursuing everything that we pursue. And as we're ministering God's Word to one another and caring for one another's souls, making sure we're aiming at God being the goal. Not primarily that happiness, not, not primarily getting rid of the chaos, not primarily relief from your pain or your affliction, but rather how do I honor and glorify and worship God in my circumstances? And we, we do, just as humans, we have a tendency to, to focus on those outward things. Right? Attaining that happiness or that blessing or that peace that we, we really want. And we, we miss the reality that the ultimate aim really needs to be finding well, those things and other things primarily and only in and through our relationship with Christ. So we, we may even have a tendency to focus really hard to just conform our lives to some outward standard. Or, or at least to the degree that others see what we are outwardly and, and miss the realities that even doing those things, whatever God has called us to, to be and do outwardly, those things even need to be an overflow of a life of worship or we're just, we're just becoming better Pharisees, right? And so we want to make sure that we're, we're aiming at Him, essentially, that He is the... the the goal and the center and the purpose of our life. That's because I think all sin is, is in some fashion a worship disorder, just to borrow some modern vernacular for, and hijack it for our purposes. They've been hijacking our language for decades. Let's hijack their disorder word. Sin is a worship disorder, right? When we, when we sin... There's something disordered in our, our lives, in our heart and mind, where our, 
what's where he is not being his glorious worth is not being put on display anymore it's something else right so if if you have a copy of the scriptures second corinthians 5 and this is a common passage that uh that we use with folks that come in for counseling to kind of reorient their thinking because again most most people who are suffering and and i would say almost everyone who comes in to get help in our counseling center is experiencing some kind of suffering and we need to recognize that and and uh, minister to them accordingly but often their focus is on relief from whatever that suffering is and the focus isn't necessarily uh, fully on this idea if you look at second corinthians chapter 5 verse 9 paul says therefore and we'll explain why therefore is there Therefore, we also have as our ambition, whether at home or absent, to be pleasing to him. His whole life summed up by who am I aiming to please, right? Again, I think that's very much along the same lines as all the other terms uh, that we've, we've talked about. And so providing care initially is getting people to the place where they're convinced and committed to pursuing pleasing God as the goal of their life. And for Paul, he's like, whether, whether present or absent, which he is saying really, whether alive or dead, I want to be pleasing to him. And that's kind of the context of this passage where Paul is, is talking about the persecution that they're facing as, as ministers of the gospel. In, in chapter 4, verse 8, he says, we're afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not despairing, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed, always carrying about in the body the dying of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may be manifested in our body, constantly being delivered over to death. Their their lives were literally on the line over and over and over, but he he was thankful for that. And he expressed his confidence in the Lord in that. Down in verse 16 of chapter 4, we do not lose heart. Though our outer man is decaying, our inner man is being renewed day by day. For momentary light affliction is producing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. Why did he have that confidence? Because they were looking at things, uh, not at things that are seen, but at things that are not seen. Eternal, heavenly things that have been promised and are sure and certain. The things that they can see, earthly comfort, relief, happiness, freedom, those things are all temporary. But the things that aren't seen are eternal. And we know, he says at the beginning of the chapter, our earthly tent, this house, this is our, the body that we live in, it, it's groaning, longing to be clothed with our dwelling from heaven. Uh, we groan being burdened, right? Can't wait till this mortal is swallowed up by life and immortality. That's what God has prepared us for. That's why we're of good courage, verse 6, knowing that while we're at home in the body, we're absent from the Lord. We walk by faith, not by sight. We're of good courage, verse 8, and prefer rather to be absent from the body and to be at home with the Lord. I'd rather be dead. He says, that's, that's something. Like all this persecution and all this pain and all this affliction, all the things that, 
would, would cause us basically the most fear in life. He's like, That's, that'd be a good thing if it all came to fruition and I lost my life. Because I'd be with the Lord. Therefore, there's the therefore, we have as our ambition. This is why my greatest ambition in life, whether I'm alive or dead, even if it costs me my life, my greatest ambition is to be pleasing to Him. Now that's, that's pretty grand, and it's pretty profound. But I want you to put, put it in terms of that guy that pulls out in front of you in the road. I have as my ambition, whether alive or dead, to not have people cut me off. <laughs> it sounds really silly, right? But amazing how the simplest things in life can hijack our desire to please the Lord. And out of us flow this amazing, amazing, amazing is not the word, horrific expressions of selfishness and frustration and anger because I don't want to, and I've challenged my own heart with this for years, like what am I wanting right there? Well, I want to be safe. Yeah, okay, that wasn't really dangerous. It was just stupid. Um, But what am I really wanting there? Do I want that 1.7 seconds of my life back because I had to slow down when he pulled out? Is that what I'm wanting? It's, it's, It's really bizarre that such small things can have such a profound emotional impact on us. When we think about the dangers that Paul went through and said, he said, well, of all these dangers, even if it cost me my life, I'm not going to let it get in the way of my ultimate ambition to be pleasing to him, to put his glorious worth on display. And so we'll, we'll bring people to this and we'll say, well, let's talk about what's, what you're struggling with. Do you want to please God more than you want the road to be fully and freely yours? Do you want to please God more than that? Do you want to please God more than you want perfectly obedient children? Why, why is it that our crazy kids can cause so many issues in our heart as a parent, right? Is it we're demanding something of our kids, whether it's that perfect obedience or whether it's please stop being an inconvenience to my otherwise peaceful life. I just want peace in my home. And again, those aren't bad desires, but when we let those desires hijack our hearts to the place where we experience these frustrations and we have no view of how does God fit into your world with people who don't know how to drive and children who don't know how to obey. How does God fit into that world? Because if if we're thinking about our lives correctly, God is right in the middle of that, right? Doing something. If nothing else, sanctifying you through and through. So you're thinking about providing care for people, bring them to that place where they're understanding God needs to be the center of what I'm aiming at. Now, those, those issues all kind of revolve around the issue of, of anger, but as we're trying to help people uh, maybe on a more broad level. We can't screw down into all of these, but, but think that 
there are so many times and so many ways in which we put either things, earthly things or earthly desires or earthly relationships above or or even just beside or before God. Earthly things, earthly desires, earthly relationships, they become more important to us than God himself. They become the object of our loyalty and devotion and affection. It could be identity issues, right? I must be, be known as that successful businessman. But here I am. I'm on the verge of you know, negative cash flow here and potential bankruptcy. But you've found your identity in being a, a successful businessman. But God in His providence changed everything here not so long ago, right? And the world isn't what it, what it was. And, and the economy is, is not what it was. When you find your identity in being a, that successful businessman and, and potential bankruptcy sits in front of you and then an opportunity arises where maybe you can come by some money in a, in a not-so-honest way. You're tempted to do things that you've never been tempted to do before. Why are those temptations so strong? It's because you're finding your identity primarily in being a successful businessman as opposed to finding it in those moments, in the face of those temptations, finding it primarily in being a man of integrity for the glory of God. A man who puts the glorious worth of God on display in the way that you do business. I'm not not saying bankruptcy doesn't have implications in that. I'm saying this is where it comes from. And any time we're trying to find our primary, and that word is important, but when you try to find your primary joy or satisfaction or meaning or comfort or purpose or pleasure or identity, there's a lot of words there. When you try to find any of those things in something other than God, you, you are making those things your functional God in that moment. That's the temptation, right? To say that my, my identity in this is more important than my identity in Christ. Or, or, or my meaning is tied up in having those respectful, obedient children. You're finding your meaning in that. And if I fail in that, I've failed in everything, right? I've, someone forgot to tell you you were giving birth to sinners. <laughs> but it's true. But don't, don't find your meaning in that. Don't let that be, be your functional, functional God. So as you're ministering care to people, I think those are the kinds of questions that we begin to, to ask ourselves. Like, where am I finding my meaning, purpose, joy, satisfaction, identity, comfort, pleasure in life? Why are those things more important to me than, than God? I think the psalmist says it really well in Psalm sixteen eleven. You will make known to me the path of life. In your presence is fullness of joy. In your right hand there are pleasures forevermore. And I think you can plug in all those other words. Meaning, comfort, identity, It's in the Lord that those things are supposed to be found. And so every time we sin, and in all the various ways that we that we sin, we are uh, it's an expression of a worship disorder. It's finding worth in in those other things 
rather than in God primarily and first and foremost. So again, it's, it's not wrong to find joy in obedient children. It's, it's not wrong to, to want to have as your purpose to be a, a, a successful businessman, etc. It's not that those things are wrong. It's that when we allow those things to come above, right, to become more important to us than the Lord Himself, that uh, things get askew. The Apostle Paul had, had this firmly in mind, I think, as he, in the book of Philippians, he's, he's writing to the church in Philippi there, and he's talking about his ultimate, passionate pursuit in life. And he had known what it meant to find his, his meaning and purpose and identity in something else. He was a Pharisee of Pharisees, remember? In regard to the law, blameless. That was definitely his identity before his conversion. But he says in Philippians 3, verse 7, whatever things were gained to me, whatever earthly prominence or success or reputation that I had achieved, whatever righteousness that people thought I possessed, those things I have counted loss for the sake of Christ. For the sake of Christ. That He becomes my ultimate everything. More than that, I count all things to be lost in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I've suffered the loss of all things, and count them rubbish, so that I may gain Christ and may be found in Him. Verse 10, that I may know Him and the power of His resurrection and the fellowship of His sufferings being conformed to His death. That was Paul's ultimate aim and goal. And everything else that he'd achieved or that people thought of him, he set it aside and said that's not important in, in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ, of loving Him, worshiping Him, finding His ultimate everything in Him. So that's kind of the, the, the first step in, in ministering uh, God's care to people is helping them identify those things. Like what, is, what are those things that are gripping my heart? Whether it's, it's coming out in anger or fear or sadness whether it's coming out in, in, in lust or temptation to do things that, as I think all of us have probably experienced, how many people have, have never done something that they said, I would never do? I would never do that. My God has a way, doesn't He? Let he who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. God has a way of reminding us how, how weak we are as a means of of pointing us to how strong He can be for us when we put our trust and confidence in Him. So that's the first thing, helping people dial down inside there and say, where am I finding, Why, where is this coming from, and how is it that God is not the center of what I'm thinking, what I'm wanting, what I'm, what I'm pursuing? We talked about last night, 2 Timothy three sixteen, how the Scriptures are useful right, to benefit us by teaching us, convicting us, correcting us, and training us in righteousness. And we talked about how that training in righteousness is, is hard work, right? That disciplined instruction and repetition 
It, it communicates that spiritual growth and change doesn't happen in an instant. Spiritual growth and change doesn't happen when I take one step in the right direction. It happens as I continue to pursue that as a way of life. We recognize that apart from God, we can do nothing. We beg Him to help us continue and sustain that movement toward righteousness. We use the example of of trying to teach our kids to say please and thank you. And that is the goal, of course, that we do end up with children. That's their character. They're thankful, uh, appreciative children. And the Bible talks about spiritual growth, I think, in a very, uh, I'm going to call it a synergistic way. Synergistic is a, a fancy word for working together. So it's, it's uh, God and His Word and His Spirit working in us in order to inform and enable us to live out the truth. And we see uh, our effort being combined with God's wisdom and power, and that is what produces spiritual growth. So as you're ministering care to one another, it's not always just getting people to believe the right things or think the right things, but helping them work out what does this look like in practice. I think you see this, this dynamic of our effort and God's power in Philippians chapter 2, verses 12 and 13. Paul says, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, uh, so now, not only in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. I think he's using the word salvation there in the way that we use sanctification. The salvation, I mean, to, to work for your salvation, that's a bad deal. We all know that, right? Salvation by grace alone through faith alone. He can't be, he can't be talking about our justification. He's using that word salvation, which means deliverance. At its core meaning, it means to be delivered, to be rescued. And he's saying, work out your ongoing rescue from sin with fear and trembling. Sin is a horrible thing. We, 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 should, we should fear that. We should tremble at God's word and fear sinning. So be working out that ongoing deliverance and rescue for sin that God has for you, verse 13, because, or for, it's God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. There's that dynamic, right? He's saying you've got work to do, in your sanctification, and you can do that work, actually, because God is at work in you, willing and working for His good pleasure. So He's energizing, He's empowering your effort to strive for holiness, sanctification. I think Jesus taught the the same thing in John 15 when He said, "'Abide in Me, and I in you.'" As the branch can't bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I'm the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. So there's, there's an active abiding and intentional and purposeful uh, um, pursuit and effort to 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 know and to be and to do all that God has called us to know and be and do with the acknowledgement that apart from Him, I can do nothing. I need the strength. I need the life, the very life that comes to me like, like the vine ministers to the branch so that it has life to grow and be fruitful. We receive that from 
the indwelling Spirit, Christ Himself, the Spirit of Christ. We can't abide by our own strength. We can't obey in our own strength without God being at work in us. So it's, it's a striving to live out God's Word by faith, depending on Him for the strength, and we abide in it. And the long-term effects of that is spiritual growth. So there's a sense in which we do cause ourselves to grow, which is why Paul would say something, or Peter would say, like he does in 2 Peter 3.18, but grow. I mean, he commands us to grow. Well, God causes the growth. Right. <laughs> so grow. You see that the, the dual nature of it, right? Grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior. It's as though he's saying, you need to be like a faithful farmer who does all the things that needs to happen to cause crops to grow. And there's lots of things that have to happen, right? Tilling the soil and fertilizing the soil and getting rid of the weeds and watering uh, whatever it is and all the other things that farmers do that I'm not aware of, right? So you can do all the things that, that cultivate and cause things to grow, but can a farmer actually grow something? Well, well no, that's that's something that only really, truly, ultimately, the providence of God can, can do, right? And so we need to know, we need to do the things that, that foster growth. And then like a good farmer, we stand back and say, okay, God, I'm, I'm going to trust you to use these things to produce fruit. So in the Bible, how is, how is this dependent effort? That's probably the simplest way to talk about it. How does... How, how is this dependent effort toward spiritual growth described? Because we're, we're trying to help others grow. We're trying to come alongside people, disciple them, encourage them toward spiritual growth, how to overcome weakness, sin, how to think differently. How, how does the Bible describe this dependent effort? Well, probably the most common one is Ephesians chapter 4, uh, verses 22 through 24. And there's... There's this threefold pattern, like three aspects. This is not a shortcut to spiritual growth. It just so happens that there's only three steps. So um, there, there's more than that, as we'll see. But here's how a, a simple description of it uh, by the Apostle Paul, verse 24 or 22 of Ephesians 4. Put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires. And to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. So you, you see him describing three things there. Putting off the, the expressions of, of sin from your old manner of life. Being renewed in the spirit of your mind. Like understanding and embracing the truth, and then intentionally, with, with dependent effort, be putting on the new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. And what he's describing there, this how, how change happens, right? There's some very intentional effort that takes place that we do, as we've learned, because God is at work in us, both to will and to do of his good pleasure, that we do because we're abiding 
in the vine and apart from him, we can do nothing. So it's a dependent but purposeful pursuit. Spiritual growth is not passive. It's active, right? And that's why the person who just says, well, I've prayed that God would take the desire away, but he hasn't, needs to understand there's more to spiritual change and growth than that. So let's, let's keep talking through it. Now you see, I think, this pattern again in Romans 12, which we, we looked at just a second ago. Um, uh, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Put on righteousness. Present yourselves a living sacrifice. Verse 2, do not be conformed to this world. That's putting off the, the old man. But be transformed by the renewal of your mind. That's being renewed in the spirit of your mind. That by testing you can discern what God's will is. What's good and acceptable and perfect. You see those same three elements in there, right? of striving toward righteousness, being renewed in the spirit of our mind, not being conformed to this world, right? Putting off the old man. James, in James chapter 1, verse 21 and 22, he, he basically says the same thing. Therefore, putting away all filthiness and rampant wickedness, right? Putting off the old man, receiving with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls, being renewed in our inner man by God's word, be doers of the word and not hearers only, putting on the new man. So you see this kind of threefold way of doing things. And I, I just think this is how God describes how he changes us, again, uh, through his word, by his spirit with this intention and effort that God blesses in order to produce spiritual growth. Why is, the, uh, why is the, all of those elements so important? Well, Jay Adams used to put it this way, and I think it's really helpful. Christians don't just break bad habits. Christians replace bad habits with good habits. So the habit language, we can talk about that if you want. But he's, he's really saying that we don't just stop sinning. We grow in virtue. That's, that's the difference. Uh, the, the, if we're really understanding spiritual growth, we're pursuing that virtue. And, and as he used to say, when is a thief not a thief? It's not just when he stops stealing. At that point, he's just an unemployed thief. That's what he would say. A thief is no longer a thief when, look at Ephesians 4.28. This is when a thief is no longer a thief. He who steals must steal no longer, but rather he must labor, performing with his own hands what is good, so that he will have something to share with one who has need. See, a thief is no longer a thief when they've stopped stealing, yes, and they have been renewed in their spirit of the mind. He has a whole new way of thinking about material goods. Material goods are things that I must work for, not just selfishly take. And material goods are things that God has given to me in order to be generous and, and bless others. So the selfish 
thief turns into the generous philanthropist because he's put off the old man, been renewed in the spirit of mind, and he's put on the new man, which is being created in the likeness of God in all righteousness. And so that's, that's what we're aiming at. So as you're struggling with sin, whether, and, and I always feel what time, how much time I got. Oh, good. Um, when, I'm, when I'm thinking about, when I say when you're struggling with sin, and we'll, let's just for a second, we'll toss anxiety and depression uh, and, and fear and things like that into the sin bucket for just a minute. When the Bible talks about sin, our word sin is punchy. And that's okay. It's a good word. But the most common word in the Old Testament and the New Testament for sin is, is a word that uh, carries with it kind of the underlying meaning of missing the mark, which implies I'm aiming at the mark, right? And so it's not wrong to, to think of anxiety or depression or, or, or uh, discouragement or, or things like that as missing the mark, when we call it sin, doesn't it make it sound a little bit more like rebellion, like iniquity, right? Maybe, maybe just transgression. Um, but the sense in which things like anxiety and depression are, are missing the mark of, of seeing and living out the glorious worth of God in every way. I'm, I'm failing to, in that moment, I'm, I'm missing the mark of understanding and and believing and trusting the character and promises of God, right? So I'm, I'm missing the mark of, of belief and trust in that moment of, of fear or that moment of, of despair. That's the sense in which I think we're, we're coming alongside people and saying, let me, let me help you. And, and we're saying, let's, let's refocus where that mark is of believing and trusting the Lord in your difficult circumstances. And let's figure out what does it look like then to replace your fear or your sadness with intentional trust in the Lord. That's the, the putting on. Where's the virtue? What's the virtue to pursue? And in, and in situations like that, the virtue to pursue is really believing and trusting the Lord in those difficult circumstances. When it comes to something like, like lust, the, the person you come alongside trying to help them, they had this porn problem off and on for years and years and years. What's the virtue that they need to, to embrace, right? Or someone who's struggling with anger, they need to not just stop yelling, right? I mean, counting to 10 can be a good tool for a while, but it's not going to produce heart change, right? The Lord is calling them to go beyond counting to 10 and yelling less, the Lord is calling us as Christians to grow in, in virtue. And so helping them see that, that anger is flowing out of just having selfish desires. You need to put off those, those selfish wants that you're not getting, what, whatever they might be, and figure out what does it look like to want the things God wants in this moment, to not be overwhelmed by the things that I want, and then put on, in light of those truths, the virtues of, of gentleness or patience. Right? And, and begin to practice those things of gentleness and patience. So I'm not just not yelling. I'm actually learning how to speak with gentleness and patience. And I'm going to keep practicing that. I'm not just going to be gentle once. I'm not going to be just patient once. Right? I'm going to keep practicing that as a virtue 
in my life. And as we're caring for each other, what we're doing is we're trying to, to help people figure out what does that everyday practice look like and encouraging them along the way because they're going to fail, right? They're going to fail. We all do. And so we need that encouragement. We need that reminder that your acceptance before God, it's not determined by how perfectly you do those things today, but you are in, in trust and faith pursuing it and you're still depending on the Lord for the power and recognizing your need for forgiveness when you fail. That is the, the beauty of the gospel. And that's the kind of comfort and care that we should be, be bringing to people. Now, all of that care, so that's how, that's how change happens. And I think it's vital that we, we figure out a way to think through our struggles of everyday life in terms of what we're putting off what needs to change in the way that we think and how the Word of God informs that, and what are the virtues that should replace the, the missing the mark moments of our life? What are those virtues? And so we can't, we can't dial down into every, uh, every issue, uh, but we can um, talk, talk about them uh, in general. So we've got some tools that, that we use to help people see where, where some of that is coming from. And, and I think the one that I've repeated a couple times, and maybe you're catching it, is things like anxiety and even anger and despair, they flow out of forgetting something about the character and promises of God. And boy, when you think about all of life being summed up in knowing and worshiping the Lord, it kind of makes sense, right? If I'm, if I'm knowing Him and all that He is and all that He's promised, and I'm intent on putting my knowledge of Him uh, on display, he is of ultimate worth because of what I know and because of what he's, he's promised, then that's the path, right, to, to changing in those ways. All of this, though, I'm going to say this, and, and just by way of summary, it, it must be done in a context of, of helping people live out their Christian life in a, in a personal and practical way. So, Start by helping them figure out what's going on in my heart. What am I wanting? What am I forgetting? What am I not believing? Uh, where, where is the misdirected worship? Right? What, what, is, what is the thing that I'm making uh, of more worth in my heart and mind than the Lord himself right now? Uh, I think that's important. Understanding that we have that identity in Christ that we talked about last night you know what, I am dead to sin and I'm alive to God uh, in Christ Jesus and I can walk in newness of life. So helping people be reminded, you, you can do this as hard as it might be. And overcoming sin can be hard, but you can do it if you really know the Lord. So purpose to live dependently on Him. And that means that you're not just dealing with sin issue A in your life. You are also trying to help them understand what does it look like to be purposely and dependently walking with God through the word and prayer. You know, we, I can't remember the last time someone came to us in the counseling center who read their Bible and prayed regularly as a, as a way of life. There's a reason they're coming in for help. Um, and that's part of it. Every time, I mean virtually every time, uh, there isn't this vital dependence 
on being, having their souls fed and their hearts shaped through the Word of God and through prayer. They're, they're, they're not in their moments of, of despair or, or anxiety or temptation. They're not falling on their, their knees, like literally or metaphorically, and saying, God help me, teach me, strengthen me right now. It's not this very vital moment by moment walking with the Lord. And so that's definitely a part of it. There's times when you're trying to help people change, when you're ministering care, there is a place for uh, radical measures, right? If your right hand offends you, cut it off. If your right eye offends you, pluck it out. There's a place for that. And, and gently, lovingly helping people see what does it look like in your life right now, given your set of temptations and, and your weaknesses to make no provision for the flesh. Romans thirteen fourteen. There's a place for just being involved every week, certainly, but vitally involved in the life of the church. We, we all need that encouragement. We all need that accountability. And I, mean, I always tell people, what God has designed the church to be in my life, He does, uh, in, in His providence, our Sunday morning service is really not designed to provide. So I can come to church every single Sunday and do pretty much everything. I mean, Sunday morning worship service. The, the equipping hour, that's a little different, isn't it? I'm, I'm suspecting. I've never been to your equipping hour. I suspect you talked with one another there. Is this true? Very good. <laughs> so there's, there's an engagement of, of fellowship and mutual accountability and, and care and encouragement that goes on in a context like that. Um, but if you walk in the door as the service starts and you walk out the door when the service ends and there's no fellowship and encouragement, then the church is not doing for you what God has designed it to do. That service isn't really designed to do all those things. And so helping people get vitally involved in the church, I think, is, is, uh, is absolutely vital. I want to tell a, a little bit of a story to illustrate how, how change happens. Uh, it's a personal story. So this happened back in 2014. It's just one example of dozens that I could give. But I think for me, this was one of the harder ones. I mentioned last night I have my besetting sins. One of them is laziness. That, that's just me. And um, that's the one that my son-in-law so faithfully confirmed for all the hearers at the previous conference I did. Um, so... Uh, at some point, um, and I don't remember if it was my wife's admonition or my own guilty conscience, I don't remember all the details, but I realized I was just not very attentive. So Michelle would ask me for help with something, uh, or she would ask me to do something, or she would ask me why something wasn't already done, and um, I would just kind of stare at her. And sometimes I would just keep staring at this, uh, or I would just keep staring at, at ESPN or whatever else I was doing. And I just wasn't very attentive. And I, it kind of came up because I, I heard her say a lot, did you hear me? So if, husbands, if your wife is saying, did you hear me? If you hear her say that a lot, you probably need to change something. Just heads up. Um, and I was like, I realized... She talked to me a lot without me really responding to her. And I became convicted by that. That is not a husband who loves his wife. 
who sacrifices for his wife, who's faithfully serving his wife as Christ loved the church. Um, he didn't come to serve but to be served and to give his life, right? A ransom for many. And that's, that's what godly leadership looks like, actually, is that sacrificial service. And that wasn't me. And therefore, that was not godly. That was not putting the call and the worthiness of God on display in my life and in my home, which is a big deal because it's supposed to picture Christ in the church, and that's not what it was picturing, right? So I said, I said God, I am going to make a commitment to you to uh, respond to my wife as soon as she asks me to do something. That's what I'm going to do. Now, I was careful not to tell her about this <laughs> for fear that she might leverage it for some ungodly end. I didn't want to tempt her. Um, so, but that was my commitment and that was the year we moved to Spokane. So that happened in, in the early part of the year. Um, and so we went through the process of, you know, readying our house for sale and packing and moving and, uh, getting into a new community and setting up a new home. It was all during that, which is pretty trying time, right? When you feel like you have, t- and I'm learning a new, new church and I got new responsibilities, yada, yada. There's all kinds of things. So it's a very challenging time to say, I'm going to set aside whatever I want to do right now and respond to her uh, right away. And honestly, the moving and the job stuff wasn't, wasn't the hardest. For me, because of my laziness, the hardest was the mundane things of life. That what I said last night, like, you seriously just asked me to do that when there's 17 seconds left on the game? Like, Really? And I had made a commitment that I wasn't going to make excuses. And so I'm literally getting up with 17 seconds left, and I'm going to miss the end of this game. That's just what's going to happen right now because I'm committed to spiritual change. And I'm committed to loving my wife and putting the worth of God on display. And in that moment, right? Now, I'm a human. I hate that. Would you not hate that? I mean, like, this is hard. I don't want to do this. I'm gritting my teeth. I'm, I'm literally angry, right? So uh, I'm, I'm only, again, only one step toward the godliness thing I was hoping for at that point because I'm sinning while I'm trying to be righteous. Isn't that a lovely thing? Does anybody sin when they're trying to be righteous? We all do it, right? But this is, this is what I'm committed to before the Lord. And I had to beg God to help me in those moments to not let that anger come out. To, to not express it. And, uh, but that, that is what I was committed to. And God has used that in, in my life to help me overcome, I'm going to be honest, some of the laziness. right? And Michelle can confirm that uh, if you'd like her to. I'm, I'm not perfect. I'm not, I still struggle with laziness. And I still struggle with attentiveness because I did that for about a year, the absolute commitment. And I kind of backed off on it a little bit. Do you mind if I watch the end of the game? I also paid for that like pause live TV thing. That's really kind of worth the nine ninety nine a month. Um, so there was some other changes that came about here that weren't so spiritual. Um, so, um, but I do believe that that is how God changes us. And the more I've taught this, and the more I've thought through this, the more I've realized how intentional and purposeful. We need to be if we really want to overcome these things. And, and again, I think I'll probably struggle with degrees of laziness till the day I die. Just like people who tend toward you know, worry are probably going to be worriers. People who tend toward sadness, 
melancholy, the Puritans used, they, they might struggle with that their whole lives. But you can intentionally and purposefully strive toward living out those ideals that God has for you, praying that He would enable you, praying that He would sanctify you through that intentional effort. And I think the, the more we do that, the more we will grow. Most of us need help with that. You know, I, I didn't really share that with anybody. I was moving, and I created new friends and new accountability relationships. And so um, I was kind of uh, on my own in a, in a sense because I wasn't really sharing that with others. But in the context of life in the local church, those are things that you should be sharing with someone in your life. You know, that culture of care means you're discipling and you're being discipled all the time. There should be people in your lives kind of on, on both ends of, of your maturity spectrum, Folks that you're leaning into because they're more mature and godly than you that can help encourage you and hold you accountable. And there's people around you in in the church that you can encourage. Find someone who doesn't know what you know and teach them what you know. Find someone who just needs your encouragement and, and, and accountability and maybe a little bit of help sorting out what is that virtue that I'm missing that's causing that temptation to feel so strong? What is that perspective of God that I'm letting be overshadowed by the circumstances of, of my life that I, I need corrected. And we all need people in our lives to help us see what is that, right? Rather than just trying to, to duke it out on our own sometimes. There was, uh, there was an issue that came up in our, our life, marriage, a while back. And again, I'll just, I'll just admit it, it made me angry. And I was I'm mature enough not to like yell and shout most of the time, but um, it was just a, a frustrating thing, a change in our life and world that, that Michelle desired to make, and I did not. That's how simple it was, and I couldn't figure it out. Like, why is this making me so mad? And I had to go get help. So the, the counselor needed counsel. That, that's, and we're all that way. And as soon as, as soon as I think I don't need help because I'm something, right? Take heed lest you fall, right? So I went to two of the pastors on staff, and I said, look, I'm having this thing in my heart, and it's, I can't figure it out. Help me sort through what is askew in my perspective of God and my perspective of my wife and of this little detail in my life. So the detail's not that important, um, and it had nothing to do with the election. Okay, so that is, that is how growth happens in a nutshell. So keep in mind, I I would cover that kind of material probably in three sessions if I were teaching a counseling class. We'd go into a lot more detail. So we've we've scrunched a lot of material into a very small jar and and block of time. But uh, again, dependent effort that's intentional and purposeful, that's pursued with the accountability and care and input of other Christians around us, and man, God can bless that, that kind of mutual care for one another to the building up of the body of Christ until we all attain to that unity of the faith, to a mature man, to the, the fullness of the stature of Christ that he's designed. And that's my prayer for you as a church, Gold Country, is that that will be, become more and more a part of your culture uh, as you pursue it intentionally. Let's pray. God, we thank you. Thank you for the promise that you're at work in us to will and to do of your good pleasure. Uh, Help us uh, not to ignore that reality, that your power is at work in us. Uh, Don't allow us to be apathetic to our need to change and grow. 
bring conviction where conviction is needed and bring the humility uh, to our hearts that we need to just admit that and confess that and seek help uh, if we need it. Help us to have the kind of care and thoughtfulness that's willing to take the time to help others uh, think through those things as well so that, God, uh, you can be producing not just a culture of care, but of holiness and, and gratefulness uh, here in this, this church body. We thank you for your promises uh, that you, you're doing those things. Uh, help us not to, to ignore uh, your work in our lives toward that end, we pray for Christ's glory. Amen.